Hello, dear friends, it's Carly, and welcome to another episode of the I Learned podcast. So glad to be here making this episode. <sighs> I have had such a lovely morning so far. Yesterday was such a satisfying day, and I'm feeling this like deep inner peace and contentment with my whole world right now, inner and outer. And it's just like a really lovely place to get to exist. And so this morning, as I get going in my morning time and pull out my journal and I'm scrolling through YouTube, that feels like the answer. I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks lately and audible, um, but this morning I was definitely drawn to YouTube and I just wanted to kind of see what was on there. So I started scrolling and I get down a little ways and there's an Eckhart Tolle video. And I really hope I'm saying his name right. It's definitely a unique name. Um, it might even be Tolle? Tolle? I don't know. I was, I was, Anywho, I found one of his videos. The title caught my attention. I clicked into it. It was a video about spaciousness and creating spaciousness in your life um, or allowing there to be spaciousness in your life, I think might have been how he put it. And that caught my eye because spaciousness has been like a really yummy word to me lately that like <laughs> pretty much since not having to work at the grocery store anymore. So like seven days a week, I am free to wake up every morning and do what feels good to me. Um, it has been a major shift and one that feels like the next logical step. Like the last time I was completely without work, um, it was so much harder. I was so much less prepared for what that really is, you know, like, I think it's so easy when we have jobs to be like, Oh my God, I wish I could retire. And I want to quit this job. And I wish I could win the lottery. And like, I know I'm, I say all these things, you know, like, or I did back then. Um, and that first time that I walked away from my job, like when I took the five months off, like it definitely was harder than I thought it was going to be like by a lot. Um, in terms of the shadow work that came up and the processing that came up. And I, I shared recently on an episode that in the numbing episode that my early response to numbing my emotions was just work harder, <laughs> just keep working, just work a little bit more, just, you know, pull out some work and get back to work. And, you know, like basically just tuning out of my inner world by constantly engaging my brain and working and just, you know, and if I'm working, then eventually there's going to be a product that I can turn into somebody else or turn over to somebody else and their appreciation, their reflection of the quality of my work. Like that was all very satisfying to me at the software company. And then when I left that job, I had to face facts that I had been using that job or a job, any work to mask that the tape was playing in my mind over and over of you're not valuable. Like you're not valuable unless you're doing X, Y, Z. Like if you can't even do X, Y, Z, then you're not worth anything. Like 
I definitely had that perspective, like even going into, you know, this would have been almost five years ago, leaving that job. And yeah, it's, (laughs) it's a beautiful thing to realize that this time walking into freedom seven days a week for, you know, the foreseeable future, maybe forever. I don't know. Like I'm trying to build a life that does feel like retirement where anything that I'm doing, even like work, quote unquote, is fun and it's spiritually fulfilling and it's led by my passion and that it's something that I don't ever want to retire from this work, this work that my soul came forward to do. Like I want to do this work for the rest of my life and that's where I am. And that's where the whole rest of my life I'm thinking is going to come from that space. So this spaciousness of freedom of like, just wake up in the morning and ride the wave of energy that presents itself. You know, I've shared many times, like I wake up with my energy and recently um, finally captured it in words that really felt like it, it really honored what happens to me in the evening. I told somebody that I don't do evening appointments because I basically turn into a gremlin at 6 p.m. And that's so freaking true. Like my ability to be outside of myself, like it's just almost non-existent. Like my energy just kind of sucks back inside of my shell all day long. Like it just, as I wear myself out, like my energy just pulls back into my shell. And by about six, I need to just be dormant. Like I need to not talk. I need to not engage. I need to, yeah. Like that evening space is, is definitely, it's a hump every day to get through it into bedtime, which is why a lot of time bedtime is like six or 7 PM because I'm just like done with it. I'm over it. Here we go. Bedtime. Um, but I get up pretty early. So yeah, evening, by the time I get there, I got no energy. I want to just pull back into my show. Um, <laughs> couldn't even begin to tell you, oh yeah, I wake up with all my energy. And then like having the freedom to ride that wave of energy towards whatever passion or creativity or intuitive hint or nudge or whatever, like like my little nudge of like, Ooh, I feel like getting into YouTube. I feel like just scrolling and seeing what's there and then finding this spaciousness video. And that so resonates with exactly where I am. Ooh, spaciousness. That looks yummy. Let me click in there. Let me watch that. And I did, I watched it and I actually like watched him, which again, he's like, (laughs) kind of reminds me of Yoda at this point, Eckhart Tolle. Um, (laughs) cause like he just sits there and he's just, he's just so calm. And I think I haven't been ready for his level of calm because there was so much frenzy inside of me that I just got bored watching him. And I think it was because I was unable to reach the level of calm that he is projecting. And this morning, for whatever reason, this inner peace, this inner contentedness, um, I was feeling very calm and that spaciousness video looked really yummy. And so I watched all of that. It was only, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes and then went to the next YouTube video. And I I listened to that one for like four or five minutes while I was watering my plants and it wasn't doing it for me. So I, I went back out to the newsfeed and refreshed it. And the top video was the one that I am going to I think probably make three episodes on this, what I have so far, I've watched 27 minutes of an hour and a half. 
And I am already so full and so jazzed in all of these concepts that he's laid out so far that I'm like, I can't even watch the rest of it before I come in here and chat about it and empty my brain of all of these things that I already want to share. Um, so this is part one of this series of basically doing a review on this video that he did, which was a filming of a live event called Conversations on Compassion. And the host, the person who he's talking to is Jim Doty, and he's the founder of C-Cares. I've never heard of it before, but it's like a neuroscience type organization where their focus is specifically understanding the neuroscience of compassion. And that, I mean, conversations on compassion, that caught my eye. Compassion is, is a subject that I rotate around a lot. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it felt really right. An hour and a half, I'm like, wow, an hour and a half of him talking. I don't know if I'm ready for that. But I had already watched his whole first, that whole video on spaciousness and um, was very still just so zen, just so happy. And so I was like, yeah, let's give this a try. And so I click into it and they start it and right from the first question and answer, I am like engaged. I am like zoned into his vibration. And like I said, it moves so slowly. And if you're not able to calm yourself to a level where that's not totally boring, <laughs> you know, you need constant stimulation, which I have for all of my life up until this morning, apparently. Um, yeah, I just like couldn't hear him. And now I realize it was because my vibration moves so fast and there's so much chaos in my vibration that like his calm vibration just feels like, like, ew, God, no, I got to get back in the frenzy. I can't, I can't. It's like, <laughs> yeah. But now, oh my God, I gotta say like, feels really delicious to be this calm. Um, yeah, I think I've, I've definitely been working in the right direction. So that's very good. Um, so I've listened to 27 minutes of his hour and a half, and I've also listened to, you know, this morning wasn't my first of his videos. I've been peppering them in one or two here and there every once in a while. Like I said, I can't sit there for very long and be in that slow energy. It's uncomfortable, but apparently I seem to be getting more and more comfortable in the slow energy because I can hear him more. So that's really cool. Seems like new territory. You know, I always like to celebrate that. Um, so... I'm looking back to the notes, the, the main takeaways of these 27 minutes of what he shared so far. And I have to start at the beginning like they did, which was so helpful. Um, basically, Jim Doty asked him to share how he came to have these insights about how all of this works, how awareness works and consciousness works and inner peace works and how, how do we do this? And how did you do this? And how did you get to, to hear? How did you, you know, figure all of this out? And he told a story about when he was 29 and that instantly caught my attention because that was, I mean, my awakening was right around that age, late twenties. And he said he was so horribly depressed. He was so unhappy and one night, the depression was so hard and just unbearable that he felt something inside of himself snap, 
not in a in a harsh way but in a instant relief kind of way where and he I mean he said like he he couldn't have explained this back then but you know now like 30 years later however old he is um he's able to put words to it and he's like you know as after I've studied all these other spiritual traditions and he lists off like 10 of them he's like I understand now that in spiritual language what happened to me was a spiritual awakening and that I found really instant interesting because he goes back to talk about how like the way he unpacked all of that when he finally said spiritual awakening it just clicked that like because that is a word that also has a lot of cultural salad dressing all over it spiritual awakening it sounds so like like monks and hippy dippy and like just off in the deep end and what it really was in that moment of him explaining his story. And it just like clicked with total clarity in my mind that like spiritual awakening is an awakening of your spirit. And what he described as that snap where he said, I can't live with myself any longer. And it instantly made him curious, like who is this I and who is myself? Is there one of me or is there two of me? And that was a brand new sensation. He had never been aware of his self, his sense of self. And he had never sat in this space of, I can't live with this self any longer. He had never operated from that space of awareness of him. And he only got there because he was so miserable and that's, that's like basically my story, you know, like, and he also told a story, which also really made me feel so much better, um, about everything that he's like, and that depression that I felt through that, like really peaked in my late twenties, it like really came to a head then, but it had been going on my whole life. And he told a story when he was six, they lived in like a four floor apartment building and they lived on the ground floor and that they were painting the outside of the building and they put up scaffolding like all across the front of the building and that his little six-year-old self had the plan the uh the awareness I guess like what he wanted to do what he felt better he felt relief because he was like well as long as the scaffolding is there if I want to kill myself I can just climb up and jump off So like, if I need to get out, I can get out. Like, this is really uncomfortable, but I'm not really ready to quit just yet. But if I really get there, I can just kill myself this way. And he tells it like that. He's like, ha ha ha. And I was like, oh my God, like that is so, wow. And he was six. And honestly, it made me feel better. I'm like, I don't think I contemplated suicide until I was like 14. So the fact that I wasn't that miserable at six, I'm like, wow, okay. So maybe I'm not the most miserable person on the face of the planet, but I was pretty miserable eventually. But it happened just like that where something snapped that day where I remember like the day before, two, two days before it snapped, I something happened. It was triggering. It was with my relationship at the time and my jealousy issues and him and her and on and on. And yeah, I was like just a mess picturing the worst and just terrorizing myself. And I had walked to work that day 
And so we had like, whatever, we were at this outing and I was on like the first bus back to work after the outing and have to walk home. And I put my sunglasses on and I cried behind my sunglasses all the way home. And then I walked upstairs to my apartment building and I just still my bag on my shoulder. I just collapsed on the floor and fell over on my side. And I just cried and cried and cried. And I didn't care who heard me. I, there was a little bit of yelling in there mixed in. It was just like, I just like, there was so much pain inside of me and it had to come out. I was like, felt like I was vomiting pain in these tears and in these yellings. And I just was so in pain and it hurt. And even now, like talking about it for too long, like I'll start crying again because it hurt. It hurt at the core of who I am. And it was a day, two days later and it snapped and I just couldn't take it anymore. I can't. And I said, my, my words were either I'm going to be, I'm going to live a happy life or I'm not going to live at all. I, and basically the, the implication was I can't live like this. I can't live with myself. Just like he said, um, that snap happened and I never would have at the time, especially never would have called that a spiritual awakening, but it was my, my awakening of that separated sense of self of I'm going to live a happy life or I'm not going to live anymore. And it wasn't my small conscious mind who said that it was a bigger knowing of my higher self said, I'm going to live a happy life. (laughs) And basically like flicked conscious Carly, like over to the side, like you can get out of the way. I'm going to live a happy life or we're not doing this anymore. Like we, we can't do this anymore. And it was this bigger awareness than just little me in my pain of my personal experience. And that was the beginning of, you know, that, that next more or that day when I woke up and I said, I'm going to live a happy life or I'm not going to live anymore. That was the day I found Abraham. That was, that was the day that my life, that was like the beginning of my new life. And it came out of immense suffering. And that's one of the, one of the, um, quotes that he gave in the thing was lots of people awaken spiritually without ever coming into contact with medita- meditation technique and they awaken simply because they can't stand the suffering anymore and that is what eventually splits a person into their higher self and their their unconscious self their ego self the and this is where oh my goodness like because i'm t- okay so i since I was small, I, I have a voice in my head that talks all the time, all the time. The only time that it's not talking, and this is only sometimes, is if I'm talking out loud. Sometimes the voice in my head can even be thinking and talking while I'm trying to talk out loud, which is obviously not helpful. So like I've been aware of this phenomenon of this voice in my head that talks all the time and I pay attention to it. I see it. I see it talking all the time. And it, I mean, I'm like observing this talking voice all the time. And I've talked to people who say they don't have a voice in their head. Like there have been people who told me like, wow, you're nuts. Like there's no voice in my head. There's no, nobody talking all the time. And I have felt so fucking crazy because of that. And like, I know now I'm not crazy. I know now, like 
you know, there's a heightened awareness happening. And I'm very grateful that I'm aware of my thinking mind and that there's a different part of me that has bigger thoughts than what my thinking mind is usually paying attention to. So I'm glad that I have both, you know, and I've embraced that and I'm coming to love it. And I think that is letting me be introduced to this teacher. A different one of his quotes also really blew open my mind. Um, Basically, he said, either you're aware of the constant voice, constant voice commenting, sorry, either you're aware of the constant voice commenting constantly on your experience, or you so identify as the voice, you're not aware of it because you're inside of it. And that like (laughs) blew my mind. It also is reminding me of that, um, that speech that some, I can't think of his name. I'm going to make a note. This is water is what it's called. Um, but it's like an inspirational speech. You can watch it on YouTube. I'll put the link in the description and it's basically him having a conversation about awareness, but he tells, he illustrates it by these, these couple of young fish. They've heard about this thing called water and they really want to know what it is. So they go off in search of this thing called water. And on their journey, they come up on this old wise fish and they are like, Hey, maybe we should ask him. So they go up to him and they're like, Hey, old wise fish, what is this thing called water? We've heard about it. And the old wise fish says, you're in it right now. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like what is water? And he's like, you're in it right now. This is this around us. This is water. And it's like that. It's like, if it's so normal to you that you don't even consider that it exists because it's so ingrained like fish, they don't, they don't know what water is. It's just their environment. Like, you know, we have to learn later that there's oxygen in the air and there's all of these things going on around us. But like when we're little, we just take for granted that we're in a safe environment. You know, we can breathe. We don't think about that. It's ingrained. We don't give a conscious consciousness and awareness to our breathing most of the time. Um, and this sounds exactly like the same thing. Like you're so inside of it that you identify as it. And that makes a lot of sense going back to those conversations with the people who said that they don't have a voice in their head. And he described that waking up to realizing that there is a constant voice in your head. Like if you're awake, the voice is talking all the time. There's thoughts, there's thinking things going through your mind constantly. And he says, basically that's happening for all of us. And the only difference is how aware you are that that constant voice is talking. And the first awakening was how he put it. The first awakening of your spirit is to be aware that that voice is constantly talking. And that is your stream of consciousness. That's your stream of thoughts. That's your thinking, quote unquote. That's the mind chatter that exists in your head. And to be aware that it's there, you know, you don't have to change it. You don't have to like fix it or, you know, whatever. You don't have to know anything about it. You just have to be aware that it's happening and that you know what thoughts you're thinking on a regular basis. Um, And really that makes so much sense when you go back to like Abraham's work. Um, I mean, you basically can't do what Abraham is teaching if you don't have a voice in your head. (laughs) If you don't, 
Like if you don't know what your thoughts are, you can't attract, you can't be a deliberate creator of your reality. You know, like the whole point is to guide your thoughts on purpose. So if you're going to guide your thoughts on purpose, you have to engage with your thought stream. And that was another piece that kind of came out of what he was saying that I put together was the way he described meditation and the way he clarified that like not everybody needs to quote unquote meditate. Meditation is a practice of not getting lost in this mind chatter, not falling down every single thought spiral that crosses your brain. It's the practice of consciously and deliberately directing your own attention. And so with meditation, usually there's like, you know, there's a sound that you're listening to, or you're following your breath, or, you know, you're trying to put your attention on purpose on something specific. You're guiding your attention on purpose. And I feel like, cause I don't really meditate per se on like a regular basis at all, every once in a great while, or like every once in a while I'll fall asleep to like a guided meditation or something like that. But usually I'm out in like five seconds. So it's like a subconscious guided meditation at that point. Um, here, talk to my sleeping self, um, which is kind of a real thing. I'm so I'm told, but in journaling, that's what I do. That's, I mean, I'm directing my attention on purpose. I point my attention on purpose towards the highlight of my day yesterday and towards things that I'm grateful for in my life and towards anything else that's crossing my mind that feels good to think about or um, what I'm going to do today. What am I most looking forward to in my day today? And maybe do a little bit of segment intending or scripting around like, Ooh, I have this thing that I'm really looking forward to and it's going to be fun and it's going to be easy and Ooh, I'm going to make this new connection and my spirit is going to be with me that whole time. So like at any moment, I know I'll be able to just relax and hear my spirit speaking with me, like all of these things. I mean, just write that out about, Hey, I'm going to have this appointment today. So I'm going to do a little pre-paving. I'm going to do a little scripting. Um, all of those words are Abraham words that I got from her. But it's all ways of pointing my attention on purpose. So I know there's a lot of talk out there around meditation and that it's kind of the key to everything. And like, if you want to be happy, you need to meditate. And like, I've heard all these things and I have a natural resistance to it. Again, I think kind of similar to what I was saying about not being able to listen to Eckhart Tolle before in that I have a really hard time like slowing my vibration down that much I mean, it's hard enough when I'm journaling to like slow it down to a pace where I can write the words on the page that already is slowing it down a lot. Um, and so I've let that be okay. I've let, I'm like, I, I have a lot of satisfaction in my journaling. I find a lot of relief there. I find a lot of alignment there where it feels really, really good that as I kind of go through here are some things that I'm grateful for, something else will occur to me. That's like, Oh my God. And this, and like a whole nother thing. And you journal like a whole nother page about this cool thing that happened, or that reminds me of this, or I hope this for my future or whatever it is that feels good to write down there. And again, I'm on purpose focusing my attention, not necessarily on anything specific, like one sound in the room or something like that, but the, the standard is set that while I'm journaling, it is things that will feel good unless I'm specifically engaging in some shadow work and some pain healing or something. 
my, my criteria for that time in my journal is that it has to feel good. And if it feels good, write it down on the page. Doesn't even matter. Sometimes I literally write, I really like my handwriting. I find it really satisfying to write on the page. My hand really enjoys holding this pen. This pen is the most smooth pen that ever existed. That's why I buy pack after pack after pack. That's sometime what I write in my journal. Like I can't even imagine somebody trying to read these someday and be like, hilarious. Um, the inner workings of Carly finding satisfaction in her own brain. Um, so his point around like meditation is really just the practice of not getting sucked into that mind chatter and the practice of holding yourself apart from that mind chatter and pointing your wider, bigger attention, more powerful attention, pointing it towards something on purpose and practicing that because think about it. Like The word that's coming to mind right now is resilience. If you can do this, your resilience shoots through the roof because if something bad happens, like bad, quote unquote, if you have a diagnosis, if you have trouble in your business, you have trouble in your relationship, something bad happens to you in your world, happens all the time. Um, If you have this ability to focus your attention on purpose, your resilience goes through the roof because now you can focus around the bad thing. You don't just get sucked in and identify with the bad thing. There might be a little bit of that. Um, But again, most of us, eventually, we can't stand the suffering. We can't. We weren't built to suffer. Suffer, Suffering is a, it's a, it's a rumble strip on the side of the road. Like we're not supposed to drive in the ditch. We're supposed to drive on the road. That's where the clear sailing is. That's where the smooth road is. You get off in the ditch and it's bumpy and you're going to get something in your tire and you're going to bottom out your car and you're not going to make it very far driving in the ditch. And the rumble strip is how you keep yourself on the road and suffering or pain is that rumble strip and how we keep ourselves on the road. We're not meant to just exist in suffering or get past suffering into despair. And now you're wanting to commit suicide. You're off in the ditch. You're not driving on the road. You're not paying attention to the rumble strips. And that's exactly where I was. Um, And it sounds like that's where he was too, which was so cool. Um, When he had that snapping moment of realizing I'm not going to live like this anymore. And that's really encouraging because it tells me that like, you know, when people have had enough suffering, they'll quit. They'll quit trying to do whatever it is that is keeping them in that suffering. And when they've had enough, when they're ready, they'll give it up. And they'll find what works. They'll find that inner peace. They'll find that wider awareness that knows that suffering is only ever a matter of the thoughts that we're thinking. It has nothing to do with the outside circumstances. It is all about how we're thinking about it. And we can torture ourselves. He said at one point in there that the brain, I mean, it's a powerful machine. It is a manifestation machine is what it is when we use it properly. Um, Well, really, it's a manifestation machine either way. And most of us aren't aware that that's what it's doing. So when we think all of these awful thoughts that keep us in this suffering and agony, we manifest circumstances around us that only confirm how we already feel on the inside. Like we've been talking about, like our outer world is only a reflection of our inner world. So when we're suffering on the inside, all we can see on the outside is suffering and If we want to see peace on the outside, we want to see harmony, we want to see love, we want to see beauty on the outside, you have to cultivate it inside yourself first. And that wider awareness, that 
part of yourself that's bigger than your thinking brain, that is how we get there. That's how you cultivate peace and spaciousness and freedom is you practice it in your brain with your thoughts. You give yourself freedom from the mental chatter that keeps you suffering. And the more freedom you have from your own brain hurting you, the more freedom you manifest in the outer world, in your circumstances. Um, that's like literally the, the secret, <laughs> the secret to everything is inside our own relationship with our own thoughts. And he lays that out so perfectly. Um, let me see if there's some other, oh yes, yes, yes. So as he, well, he offered that, you know, I shared either you're aware of the constant voice commenting constantly on your experience, or you so identify as the voice, you're not aware of it because you're inside of it. And Jim Doty, he shared a little bit later on, um, that he's like going back to that, um, it reminds me of this really awesome analogy. So he didn't share who he had heard it from, but you know, he's who shared it with me for sure. Uh, in order to let yourself out of prison, you have to know you're in prison. And I would also kind of elaborate onto that, that like we all have the power to release ourselves from suffering. Every single one of us can end our own suffering right now. And basically it's like, what's coming to me is you got to give up control of the outer world, you know, like right now in, oh my goodness, I didn't, I really didn't think I was going to go into this, but it's such a perfect example. Um, so right now in the town that I live in, um, the polarity that COVID is creating in our country, in the world, kind of, um, this fight, this battle over what's right and what's personal freedom get us and what does, you know, community and civilization get us. And there's just so many people engaged in this fight. And in my town right now, um, the school year started here recently and almost instantly they have a whole bunch of kids and teachers and staff out in quarantine um, because there are cases and because the school board decided not to have masks and that after this rush of all these people having to go into quarantine right after the first of the year, the school board met in an emergency session and said, you know, like they got to wear masks. Like that's just kind of seems like a no brainer at this point. Like otherwise, like we're, we're not going to have in-person school here before too long. If we have to keep putting everybody in quarantine, there won't be anybody here to man the fort. So they put masks on the people. They said, wear your mask. And an uprising ensued. <laughs> it's like, which is just hilarious because apparently it's been going on. And I'm, I'm clueless because I don't have kids. I have nobody in the school system other than my high school kids at the store. And I don't manage employees at the store anymore. So I feel very far removed. I also spend 99% of my time inside my house. So... I don't really go to town and be, be in the people. Um, so I felt very disconnected from this. So I was kind of in shock to hear that it was going on. Um, but Dolly asked me such an amazing question about 
I mean, just something that she had kind of been rolling around her brain and just wanting my two cents. We were having a really delicious conversation and she's like, Ooh, I want to ask you something. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't wait. What is it? Uh, just the look at her. I was instantly excited. Um, and she asked me, she's like, what do you think COVID causing all of this polarity, this, I think she actually used the word, this divide in our country. Like, what do you think the point of that is? What's the purpose of it? And it fits perfectly right here. I think the purpose is that people have been unaware of the amount of suffering they've been holding themselves in, in their own inner world. It's so natural and ingrained that it just is. And it's been going on for so long that law of attraction has responded. And there are so many people fighting in their inner world with themselves. And they've successfully manifested an all-out battle in their external world. I told her, I'm like, you know, cause I, as far as like the two sides and I got people contacting me because they think that they know where I stand and it's all the like pro mask side. And I'm, I'm reading their argument and I'm like, I, I'm not going to sign this petition because you're pushing against them just as much as they're pushing against you. You know, it doesn't matter which side of the fight you're on. You're in a fight. You're fighting. You're, you're doing it. There's no right side. Like if you think you're on the right side, you're still on a side. You're still engaging in this battle of trying to control the external circumstances. And you're looking at this battle thinking, I can't be happy until they require masks at the school. I can't be happy until they get the mask mandate off the school. And like, you're battling this out and you're wanting to change the external circumstances, but you see like all the while the fight's going on, everybody's losing. And at the end of it, maybe somebody could technically say they won, but I've been on those victories. And trust me, like when you win like that, it's haunted. It's not satisfying. Like you think it's going to be to get your way. And so basically you're suffering while the fight's happening and even after the resolution, probably both sides continue suffering unless, unless like what he's saying, you get to a point where the suffering is so great that you give up, you give up on the suffering, you give up on trying to control your external reality and you throw up a white flag and say, I surrender. I surrender to the inner peace that belongs to me, that you know, like how I explained it to Dolly is like, I'm not on a side in this community battle. I've chosen my path. It doesn't even matter what that path is. It's nobody's freaking business. And I feel really good about it. I feel aligned. I feel like my choices came from inside of me and that's all I need to know. And people can do whatever they want. And that, yeah, like it just, it's not my fight. I have my answer. I have my path and I'm walking it and I feel good about it. And all of that is me letting myself opt out of trying to convince other people to do what I'm doing and just let myself have what I want. And dun, 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 
inner peace. Like it's that simple. And I think it's great. I think there's so, I think it's great that there's so many people battling it out because more than a few of them will reach their breaking point where they have to just quit that battle. No win, no lose. Just walk away, put it down, set it down and do what you want to do. You know, like so many people think those external circumstances are what is guiding their own happiness. And he spells it out plain as a day. It isn't the circumstances. It's our thoughts about the circumstances. And we can always choose to see our life however, however is normal for us. And I think what we're seeing right now with this divide, quote unquote, is that you know, again, it doesn't matter which side of the fight you're on. There's so many people pulled into this fight because fighting is normal for them because that's what their inner world looks like, you know? And this is going to exaggerate that suffering and it's going to help quite a few people break free of their own suffering, break free of trying to control the things that you think will make you happy. And like I said, those victories, those are hollow and haunting. And yeah, when you have to get somebody else to change so that you can feel better, there's not lasting peace in that. There's, that's a misuse of power, you know, like true power is really being able to make yourself feel better no matter what. True power is unconditional happiness. You know, like there's a battle going on in my hometown right now where I live and (laughs) I'm at peace. As far as my world's concerned, there's no battle. There's, there's my path and what I want and I'm doing that. And that's, that's all that matters. You know, we only feel as controlled as we want to feel. And I think Control is another one. I'm thinking of a friend of mine who has like really gotten sucked into one side of this argument where she feels like the mandates and all of these things are control from whoever and that she is pushing against this control with all she's got. And, you know, from what I understand as far as like the outer world being a reflection of your inner world... (laughs) still is snoring. It's like, you got to wonder how much is she controlling herself inside of her mind? How much is she denying herself what she really wants such that now she's manifested somebody outside of her that is controlling her in a way that she finds fucking unacceptable. Like she's mad about it. And again, I think that's suffering, that's suffering over feeling controlled, that suffering over feeling bonded and like not free to do what you want to do. Like it's not fair. It's not right. I should get to do what I want to do. Like, yeah, yeah, you should. Yeah. That's, that's true. And that inner peace belongs to all of us. And it's all a matter of like how much we choose to spend our time there. And this was fun. You know, I have a a bachelor's degree uh, 
and a master's degree in agricultural economics, which is basically microecon. So I've drawn somewhere in the ballpark of like 10,000 supply and demand graphs in my lifetime. And it has cemented this practice of understanding relationships between variables in graph like graphical format. So I've drawn a simple graph here. I am going to put it on the on the Instagram uh, if you want to go check that out at owning authenticity. Um, but it just makes so much sense on the vertical axis. So up and down is time spent per day deliberately focusing our stream of attention. So that is the variable that we each control for ourselves. You know, the bottom axis, the horizontal axis that goes all the way out to the right and continues infinitely is time. The days that pass, you know, so the days that pass compared to how much time per day are you spending deliberately focusing your stream of attention? Doesn't matter if you're doing that in meditation or in journaling or, you know, like freaking working on your car. Like I had an ex who like that was his meditation was pulling his car apart, taking it apart, blah, 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 putting this part on, switching this part out. Like he loved tinkering with his car. And in those hours that he spent in the garage, he was focused. He was like 100% focused on his right here, right now, present moment of turning the wrench on this bolt and lifting this part up out of the engine block and on and on and on. Like he was in it. Like he said, like my mind doesn't wander. I forget the world exists. I am so in that activity. And that's why it was like his happy place. It was his, where he goes to recharge place. And so, I mean, like you don't have to meditate. The goal is to focus your attention on purpose. Whatever that looks like for you is totally acceptable. And So time spent per day, that's the variable that we get to control. The days will pass no matter what. And our happiness, our inner peace is in the relationship between these two things. As the time passes, how much time are we spending deliberately focusing our attention and how much time are we letting the mind chatter pull our focus off into whatever directions randomly spiral off (laughs) in all directions. So And it is like, at first, I'm going to go ahead and put the original drawing instead of redrawing it. Because at first I drew just a linear, like a straight line up into, you know, the more time you spend, the more days that pass, the more happiness you will achieve. And I scribbled out that straight line because it's not, it's not incremental like that. Like day one, you pick up one unit of happiness. Day two, you pick up one unit of happiness. Day three, you pick up three units of happiness. Day four, you pick up four units of happiness. So it's not like that. Um, I redrew it as an exponential curve, which just means it's a curve. It's a, it's a round line that says early on in the very beginning, When you do one day of deliberately focusing your attention, whether that's meditation, journaling, whatever, where you're going to deliberately practice that for 15, 30 minutes, um, you will pick up almost no units of happiness. (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. Um, Yeah, like none. And it's hard and it's frustrating and there are growing pains and you might even aggravate yourself where you beat up on yourself because you can't do this. I can't do this. This is hard. This is stupid. 
Um, yeah, that happens. No units of happiness in those first couple days. And then you hit like day three, four, five. Mm-hmm. Half a unit of happiness, please. Yes, please. Okay. Thank you. Cool. Cool. Now you've got a taste of it. And now the point is like, let's fast forward to day 100. You're picking up like maybe 20 units of happiness. Okay. On day 100. Now fast forward to day 200. You're picking up 50 units of happiness. Do you see what we did there? It went from, it took a hundred days to get the first 20 units. And then it took a hundred more days to get 50 units. So you're getting better at getting happiness out of the time that you're spending. Um, and you're probably spending more and more and more time deliberately focusing your attention because as you practice it, it gets easier like everything else. So those first few days, oh, bless our hearts. Um, yeah. We, we rail against the process a little bit at times. I'm, I'm right there in that boat, no doubt about it, but it gets easier. Day one, it's a little rocky. It's a little iffy. I don't know if I can do this. Hang in there. Day five, ooh, ooh, that feels nice. Yeah, wow. I, I think I'm getting something out of this. Day 100, I don't think I can stop. I think I need to keep doing this. I think, I think my life is never going to be the same. I I don't think I can go back to just letting my mind run about, like run around in my thoughts and not paying attention to trying to point them towards something that helps me feel better. I know how to do that now. So I guess I have to do that now. There's no turning back. Abraham says, we should have made you sign a disclaimer before you started listening because there's no turning back. Once you bring your awareness to something, it gets really, really difficult to continue that unconscious behavior. I mean, this, this spiritual awakening of awakening your spirit, this wider awareness, it's when you start observing yourself and coming to the conclusion that not even in like a beating up on yourself way, but like, I don't think I cared for that behavior. I don't think that that's my most attractive side. I wonder why I showed that side. I wonder if next time, now that I've had this experience, if I could show them a different side. Huh. I guess we'll see. <laughs> and that's that's awareness. You know, Carly takes her bow. Um, that's all it is, is being like, hmm, that was interesting. I don't really care for that. I think I, I yeah, normally I act like this. And then in this moment, I acted weird, wrong, funky. That's not who I am. And being aware of that is all that has to happen. You know, bringing that awareness to it. The next time you find yourself in a repeat of that situation, that awareness that you built last time in the moment that it happened, that awareness is still there. And now that you're back in that same situation, that awareness is also present. That says, last time I behaved like this and I didn't really like it afterwards. So this time I'm going to be a little bit more intentional with focusing my being and Maybe this time I'll like it better. So that awareness, it doesn't have to like come to a full resolution in the moment. It's just about noticing because later the noticing is present in the situation. And now you have more information to hopefully get a better outcome, meaning you like your behavior. You know, it doesn't have to be any more complicated than liking ourselves. Um, We want to like ourselves as much as we can. And if that means tailoring our behavior in ways that we like ourselves more and more and more, That's just one of the many utilitarian 
benefits of practicing directing our focus on purpose. So I'm going to post that picture. Uh, I'm going to put the links for This is Water and the video itself, the Eckhart Tolle Conversations on Compassion, because this is all just like a basis <laughs> because we haven't even gotten to compassion yet. I'm so excited. So I'm going to go listen some more and possibly be back with parts two and three. Possibly not, because as I've said many times, I allow my emotional energy to guide me in any moment. So I'm just riding this wave right now. It sounds like the most fun thing I can imagine to go listen to some more of that video. And probably that's going to turn in, because I know myself, probably that's going to turn into me coming back in here and rambling for another 51 minutes on the episode. Um, so that seems inevitable, but there's always room for honoring what arises in any present moment. <sighs> And that feels really good. That's that spaciousness of not having to stick to a plan. There's freedom. There's freedom to allow the constant evolution of my own emotional energy and to do what it directs me to do. And that's a beautiful thing. And I, I don't think it's an accident that I've reached this level of inner contentment and have found this particular video and it's so powerful and connecting so many dots. Um, yeah, I don't think that's an accident. Very, very grateful that this is my life. This, this life where I'm calling myself a professional podcaster. I'm a full-time podcaster. That's my job. Um, I make very little money at this job so far. Uh, but it has paid me more wealth in the six months that I've worked this job than the hundreds of thousands of dollars that my actual career, my other, my former life career paid me in those few years that I worked there. I've earned more wealth from this position than ever before. And that's spiritual wealth. Obviously that's fulfillment and joy and looking around at my world, realizing like, this is how I'm going to spend my day. I'm going to listen to half hour of this video and then I'm going to make an episode about it. Then I'm going to listen to this half hour video and get more inspired and more passionate and connect more dots and expand my own consciousness. And then I'm going to come back and make an episode. And then maybe I do it again. Like I just, that's, that's what I'm going to do with my day. And there's nowhere else I have to be. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. And that spaciousness feels like a greater abundance of wealth than winning the freaking lottery. You know, like so many people want to win the lottery, but I think what they're really after is this spaciousness of freedom. And like I said, like that starts in our thoughts, giving ourselves freedom from mindless chatter that sucks in our attention and distracts us from who we really are. Freedom inside of ourselves. That's where it all starts. So I'm going to continue on this day. I may be back with more episodes this day. I may not. We shall see. But either way, until next time, dear friends, you take good, good care of yourselves. See if you can create a moment or two of spaciousness in your own life. And so will I. <laughs>